Welcome to Plato's Cave. I'm Jordan Myers, and I'm a master's student in philosophy at the University of Houston. You're listening to a reading group episode of the show, which means that in this episode, I discuss political philosophy with two non-philosopher friends, Adam and Giffen, because philosophy shouldn't just be for philosophers. So with that introduction, please enjoy our discussion of political philosophy. So uh, today we're talking about this uh, excerpt. You know, it's it's funny. I'm not actually entirely clear on what like piece of type of piece of media this is. I mean, it's a so it's an essay uh, by Isaiah Berlin called Two Concepts of Liberty." Liberty, and we're just reading and discussing the first two main sections of this, where he puts forth his a very very famous notion of positive and negative liberty, but. This is an essay that is part of, uh, it, it's a it's a book um, called Liberty by Isaiah Berlin, uh, and it's incorporating four essays on liberty. It's published by Oxford Uni- University Press. You can find it online if you just search uh, four essays on liberty, Berlin, PDF. Uh, so I think, I think that what we're talking about is probably pretty and arguably the most popular excerpt from that. And... You know, it's obviously very, very germane to any political philosophy or discussion of, of... I was thinking a lot about the Anderson paper, actually, when we were reading this. Um, so first, out of first impressions before we get into it, I, I thought that this was a very interesting and also very quotable paper. He had a great writing style. Yeah, for sure. And I think it was uh, honestly such a, a welcome uh, change from Marx in the mm. sense that this prose was so clear. <laughs> like, it, it, I just felt like whenever I, I, I don't know, there was something about like, you know, Berlin's writing style that I think I just understood what he said the first time. You know <laughs> what I mean? Versus like Marx, yeah. where it was like, I really wasn't sure what Marx was saying. Time. Yeah, yeah, I don't think we'll need to be filling in many blanks, like just <laughs> a, like a huge body of literature just to understand the definitions used. Like it, it was very clear. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I was familiar with the concepts, but I never read this. So um, it, it was good to actually read it. And it, and it was good, good style. And it's funny that you guys remark on the style because I mean, in that sort of like prelude to the two sections, he, he does deride analytic philosophy a little bit. You know, he talks about these people have whittled down. I, I wrote like a little note to myself. I was like, I, I wonder how, despondent he'd be at the state of philosophy today you know he he talks about people have just whittled their their whole intellectual lives down to just you know counterexample of a counterexample of a of a frankfurt case or whatever you know mm. um and, and he says you know that my, my goal in this paper is to really kind of step outside or step back of of a lot of the debate and and really kind of lay this groundwork that he says has been conflated and overlooked in the past, these two concepts of liberty. You know, and also like uh, I, I've heard this paper reference and I've heard like the positive and negative freedoms expressed before and what they mean. I think though the positive definition of freedom that I've heard is a little bit different than how he puts it in this paper, right? Like I, I read that section twice just to make sure I understood what he was saying, but I think I can understand how people have derived a modern sense of positive freedom from what he said, but it's not the same. It's not the same. I actually really want to talk about that. Yeah. Would you guys yeah. agree with that? Like no, you kind of got I that too? read this and I was like, I, I was, I've been made aware of the concept. Like I've heard the terms positive and negative freedoms used before, um, like, you know, in political discourse. Um, but reading this, it was like slightly off of my expectations. So um, I don't know. If, I don't, I honestly we, it'll be useful to clarify even like what those expectations were in the first place. Cause it was kind of like, you know, in the past I've, you know, heard these and it was just kind of like off. So maybe you can clarify Adam, if you're a little bit, if you have specific things that you're expecting. Yeah. Should we For me, jump just into that right now or we can, or do, want, or do we want to wait? I see no reason why we can't talk about the positive conception <laughs> first. Um, Cause let's say really I, quickly, let, let's just say really quickly. <clears throat> I mean, we'll talk, we'll circle back and talk about it, but Negative freedom is essentially freedom from coercion. It's freedom from external um, 
someone like Eddie Namias might call this kind of bypassing of, of your rational interests or like what you want to do. It's bypassing that it's subjugation, but yeah. And, and, all, and also like, if you're going to define the parameters of <clears throat> this negative sense of freedom, yeah, it's as Berlin puts it, or he might be, you know, you know, um, kind of rephrasing someone else's ideas too, but he kind of describes it as this, this kind of enclosed plane of that is secured liberty such that, you know, no political or social force or any other person can sort of um, mm. trespass on this enclosed plane that we would kind of define as, as um, free from coercion. So yeah. if, if that makes any sense there. It, it um, does. And I'll just add one last thing and then we can <clears throat> skip to positive freedom. He says, this is, this was one of the kind of nice, necessary and sufficient conditions. He says that there are, now I'm paraphrasing him. There's three aspects to coercion. It involves deliberate interference from another human being within the area in which I could have acted other than I did. So that's that, that is really how he's defining negative freedom there. Uh, yeah. And this did remind me of Anderson a bit in the way she kind of described oppression as social. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. kind of was similar. Yeah. Okay. So let's circle back around to that because I think that I understood very well the negative freedom and I have a lot of kind of, you know, notes and stuff to talk about, but I, I want to make sure that I under, was understanding what he's talking about by positive freedom. So I, I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. I, I think, I think that's the less clear part of this paper. Totally agree. Uh, and it's the less, I think it's the less clear both in the paper and in kind of the contemporary conversation about freedom and liberty, like you were talking about, should we discuss that real fast? Just like what the contemporary, like what I've heard personally. Yeah, do that first. Yeah. It's like, okay, so from, from what I've heard, a the positive freedom has been defined in such a way as almost like capability. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And like like in the sense that, you know, I've often heard, okay, you know, as an example, how free is someone? that is just left in their in the desert with no resources. You're free ultimately to do whatever you'd like, but there isn't much to do other than you're free to die. Mm-hmm. Right? So I like the use of capabilities that that maps on pretty well I think to the Anderson paper too. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, I You know, I, I mean, well, is yeah. that isn't that how That sounds like a contemporary it's too? like it's yeah. like practical ability to do something. Yes. Right. Like and yes. the, the conversation that I would have heard is something like, you know, someone who is impoverished, like they, they may like not be like prevented Oof. from doing something by like another person. But practically, like it's, unob- it's there are several unobtainable kind of things or goods or mm-hmm. experiences, et cetera, that like they just can't access. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And in the yeah. context of social policy, especially. <clears throat> right. Like that would be something they invoked to like say, well, we should have public libraries or something, you know, anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Access to this constitutes a freedom, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, okay, let's, I, I want to understand how Berlin's de- definition is differentiated, even <laughs> in degree, if not in totality or, or type from that. So yeah. <clears throat> maybe actually because this is a very quotable paper. Maybe I'm just going to quote a bit at length of where he introduces the positive notion of freedom. Please. So this is just at that section. Uh, he says, the positive sense of the word liberty derives from the wish on the part of the individual to be his own master. I wish my life and decisions to depend on myself, not on external forces of whatever kind. I wish to be the instrument of my own, not of other men's acts of will. I wish to be a subject, not an object, to be moved by reasons, by conscious purposes, which are my own, not by causes which affect me, as it were, from the outside. I wish to be somebody, not nobody, a doer, deciding, not being decided for, self-directed, and not acted upon by external nature or by other men, as if I were a thing or an animal or a slave incapable of playing a human role, that is, of conceiving goals and policies of my own and realizing them. He, I mean, I actually didn't have a note of this, but he's, he's almost saying, like, this is kind of the difference between the reactive and objective attitudes. Yeah. 
Yeah. It does feel like that. It feels a little and, bit like that. And I, and I want you to pause there real fast. Cause I think we can see some of like the modern conception of positive freedom at the very end of that sentence there, yes. where it's of conceiving goals and policies of my own and realizing them. Yeah. So, so it's, it's not just the conception, but it's, you know, the capability to realize you know, goals. Yeah. That's the, so I, Mm. so I, I sentences like that. I think you can see how a positive conception of, um, or I'm sorry, a modern conception Mm -hmm. of, you know, positive freedom kind of emerges from this paper. Oh yeah. You're totally, those, those word, those two words carry a lot of weight. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Because so I, I was just kind of, you know, making self examples with this and it's like, you know, I, I want to determine, and when I wrote determine, I think I was implicitly meaning both conceive of and realize, because if I conceive of all these things and they don't come to fruition, in some sense, I haven't really exercised my positive freedom there. But it's like, you know, all of us kind of have these ideas of conceiving of what career you want to have, what place in the country or what country you want to live in. You know, that stuff like, do I want to get married? The number of kids you want to have, those sorts of things are very readily uh, accessible examples, I think, to a lot of people of what he's talking about here. Uh, there was, skipping a sentence, there was another great quote from him. He says, I wish above all to be conscious of myself as a thinking, willing, active being, bearing responsibility for my choices and able to explain them by reference to my own ideas and purposes. I feel free to the degree that I believe this to be the true and enslaved to the degree that I am made to realize that it is not. That I just thought that was really interesting there. Um, and you can see you can see the modern conception emerge again there too, where yeah. it's um just focusing on bearing responsibility for my choices and able to explain them by reference to my own ideas and purposes. Mm. So ultimately, you know, whether you you know succeed or fail in something, you're not going to in this cir- circumstance maybe blame you know, your poverty, you know, poverty, your, your, your upbringing or your certain, you know, circumstances there. It's more so, you know, I, I was able to carry this out, you know, based on my own constitution ultimately, or I did based on my own constitution ultimately. So the, okay. I have a question. Hmm. So the way I was thinking about this a little bit, this was like, I was trying to get my hands on the conception here. Okay. So, so it seems like there are a lot of, probably innumerable things that I do not have the positive freedom to obtain in this sense, right? So I I do not have the positive freedom. I can conceive of this goal, but I can't realize it to become an astronaut, right? You just need certain requirements for that that I just am not going to have, right? A pro basketball player is also going to fit into that, you know? Um, however, there are probably also many things that do fall in the realm of what I am capable of, but then I do not desire to pursue. So for instance, you know, I could probably be a middle manager at Amazon. If I really wanted to be, I probably have those abilities, right? Um, so it seems like what he's talking about <clears throat> is within the scope of what is practically feasible. And then you can slice within that too to include those things which you conceive of or, d- or desire to do and that you have the ability to do. And within that, you know, for most people, most of the time, there are still, to use the Borges term, you know, there's, there's multiple forks of that, of that branch, pragmatically speaking for them. Does that, I, that, that's a little bit of how I was thinking about it. Does that seem apocryphal from the text? Uh, no, I think, I think that makes sense though. Okay. Okay. Good. I, I see how you can draw that from the text there. Okay. Okay. Um, and almost like kind of go based on your example of like, say like the Amazon middle manager, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you would bear responsibility for your choice there because you can yes. conceive of that goal. You could realize it, but you're able to explain your choices by reference to your own ideas and purposes. Yeah. Right. So, so you, what you, so you do in fact have the positive freedom to become an Amazon middle manager, mm. you just don't, ex- you know, you don't exercise, you know, I actually, you, I guess you would just have that, that positive freedom. You just wouldn't like, you, know, you wouldn't exercise it. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. you wouldn't be exercising yeah. the freedom that's exactly yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and i guess okay so so importantly also then if you even if you endorse something in like a frankfurtian second order desire sense but you didn't actually exercise any control over it that doesn't seem to be a positive freedom right so let's say you know like adam you're a good example of this you're like what 6162 or whatever so yeah. assume let's assume that you're happy with being that height or you're not lament you don't wake up lamenting the fact that you're six one right <laughs> it's true <laughs> <laughs> exactly so but you didn't have any control over that so that wouldn't be an example of an exercising of positive freedom even if you endorse it that's true yeah okay yeah okay uh so i actually had a question about this yeah so the big we were talking about like the first paragraph of the notion of positive freedom section and the beginning of the next paragraph is something that kind of made me uncertain as to whether like that's the full story of positive freedom. Mm. It says the freedom, which consists in being one's own master and the freedom, which consists in not being prevented from choosing as I do by any other man may on the face of it seem concepts at no great logical distance from each other. So this is referencing um, the positive and negative freedoms, but the first line seems to be referencing the positive notion, right? Mm-hmm. Being one's own master. And that didn't seem to map on as well to like what we had discussed and stressed in the previous part. It's almost like self-discipline is what it sounded like there instead of like practical, you know, capabilities or, you know, um, ability to exercise, things like that. Did you guys read that as problematic or confusing? That that thought came up later. I, I think I read that is very similar to the first paragraph there. I think he's just okay. kind of rephrasing it. I, I, I guess what's your issue with that little part, right? It there? was just like kind of minor, I guess, but it didn't seem to be a proper, in like in my view, um, distillation of the previous paragraph. Mm. Like to me, like whether or not you can like exercise something doesn't seem to be like whether you're one's own master. I guess like the first sentence in the first paragraph, like he kind of defines what it means to be your own master in that sense. Cause like he says, like the positive sense of the word liberty derives from the wish on the part of the individual to be his own master. And then he kind of goes on to describe what he means by that. Okay. I guess that you know makes what sense. I, mean? I, I guess yeah, it's just like, I guess the phrasing seemed like a little off. Like it doesn't seem like you can say in conclusion, it, you know, it's being one's own master. It's like, I don't know. I actually had you know questions I mean? about that, Githin. Cause, cause it, it appeared later in the text. Uh, okay. It, it, it appeared uh, so, so you know, he he introduces the fact that positive and negative freedoms can come into con- conflict with each other, right? Okay, yeah, maybe that's what we can go to. And this is, I actually had some notes that were like directly about what you were saying there, uh, because I I realized that I've actually used this concept before of an all things considered best self. So mm-hmm. this is on, uh, this is the bottom of page one seventy nine. Excuse me, sir. This is the bottom of page 179. Uh, He says, but what gives such plausibility as it has to this kind of language is that we recognize that it is possible and at times justifiable to coerce men in the name of some goal. Let us say justice or public health, which they would, if they were more enlightened, themselves pursue. Do Mm. not because they are blind or ignorant or corrupt. And I actually, and he'll go on to point out the dangers, I think, of, of that. Oh, he does. View. Yeah, that was surprising almost, honestly. Yes. So I, I wanted to talk about this because this does seem to address the kind of self-master issue that you were raising. I've I've actually unwittingly made use in my own just kind of like just thinking about things. And I, and I think I've probably raised this with you, Adam, in various conversations in the past, but I really have thought a lot in terms of kind of the, the all things considered or, or enlightened self. Uh, the last sentence of that going into the next page, he says, what at most this entails is that they would not resist me if they were rational and wise as I and understood their interests as I do. So, yeah. Um, actually, just one quick note back to Anderson again. This seems like the kind of paternalism point here, being mm. brought up, right? Yes, yes, totally, totally agree with that. <laughs> and if you recall, I haven't edited that episode. <laughs> I do recall. <laughs> That's why I bring it up. <laughs> I, well, the joke was there that I may not recall because that was the brain fog episode. Oh, mm. I actually completely forgot that that was yeah. the brain fog. If 
so if I recall, I guess I should have said, uh, I was actually very okay. Remember, she, I, I think that she had accused this she had used the accusation of paternalism as this really kind of devastating critique mm-hmm. but but i was really really okay with it and i think lurking in the background of the fact that i was okay with it is that i've used this concept of kind of the the, the enlightened rational self before in, in a lot right. of my thinking mm-hmm. so, so he he point he points out that what he's talking about when he talks about that there's there's two senses of there's there's that kind of um, all things considered. He, he doesn't okay. He doesn't use this language specifically, but I took him as as almost pointing to if you were able to live out both types of experience and experience both, which one would you choose as sort of the mill higher order pleasure, right? So, like Giffen, if if you could live out, you know, you're sort of debating what to do with your day. You have, you have two options. You could go to a few museums in Pittsburgh and spend the day kind of contemplating art and history, or you could lounge in bed and watch Netflix. Yeah. The, you know, the, I, I feel like he, he doesn't use this language, but the way I interpreted that point is there's this very pragmatic notion of your, of your most rational self or your most enlightened self, where if you experience both of those days, and then you're kind of reset with with the experience. Which would you choose to have, right? And the and the assumption there is that obviously you choose to go to the museums and kind of better yourself, mm-hmm. right? But he juxt- he seems to juxt- juxtapose that pragmatic sense with there's this other kind of of best self, which is almost this Kantian noumenal self, this pure will, right? It, it's um, like definitionally in that is that a a kind of a pure will abstracted from all of the dirty phenomenon of the real world would actually just intrinsically be rational. You know, it's like, and and And, they're related, but different. Yeah. And and I think it kind of goes back to like his description of being one's own master, like in the sense that you're able to, you know, conceptualize ideas and then realize them Mm. as well, you know? So and it's like, I, I, he does kind of like mention just an area in which this paternalism could take place, something like healthcare, mm. right? Yeah. Where it's like, you could imagine, okay, well, if the state were to encroach upon, you know, um, your decision whether to, you know, get healthcare or not and just provide healthcare to you, then if we were to take it as fact that if providing healthcare to you, which you otherwise wouldn't have would allow you to navigate the world better. Yeah. And, you know, conceptualize goals and realize those goals. You'll almost, you almost sort of, um, you just kind of seize hold of your life more at that point. You've like you granted become, positive freedom to that person. You have exactly by encroaching on their negative freedom. Yeah, exactly. So, like, yeah. So, so that's, it's like, that's, that's, that's how thing. I interpreted that. Yeah. So yeah, he, he I mean, this is like almost like the point of the paper is that he kind of lays out these two freedoms and then says there will be trade-offs and you can't just kind of like say that they're, you know, abstractly like freedom is increasing. It's like, no, there actually is a cost and it's like intellectually dishonest to just kind of say like freedom has been increased here. It's like, well, there's been a trade-off here, actually. Exactly. I much Uh, prefer. I'm super on board with this framing. I want to get to that point, but circling back to the thing that you raised, Giffen, because because what I said was setting it up. Oh yeah, uh, right. But in in the next paragraph, I'm just going to quote almost the whole thing because it's it's really good. Where is this? I'm sorry. This is on page 180. Yeah, the paradox. Or this paradox. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. Because he he so he says. This paradox has has been often exposed. It is one thing to say that I know what is good for X, while he himself does not, and even to ignore his wishes for its and his sake, and and a very different one to say that he has ipso facto chosen it, not chosen it, sorry, 
uh, not indeed consciously, not as he seems in everyday life, but in his role as a rational self, which his empirical self may not know, the real self, which discerns this, this good and cannot help choosing it once it is revealed. This monstrous impersonation, which consists in equating what X would choose if he were something he is not, or at least not yet, with what X actually seeks and chooses is at the heart of all political theories of self-realization. So continu continuing, uh, it is one thing to say that I may be coerced for my own good, which I am too blind to see. This may on occasion be for my benefit. Indeed, it may enlarge the scope of my liberty. Okay. This was, so I actually, I was kind of thinking about this at first in the terms that you laid out gift with like being one's own master. So, uh, I, so he, he, he's almost kind of making, he, he's almost making the point that like, look, don't say that you're not coercing someone to provide them positive freedoms because you're increasing their freedom. You have to actually, he's like, he's asking us to kind of bite the bullet here and say, like, if you're going to restrict negative freedoms, uh, to grant people positive freedoms, you've got to be honest about what you're doing there. And mm -hmm. I kind of, I was thinking about this with respect to the self-master point that you raised. And <laughs> I kind of do think about this and it's very amenable to a Frankfurtian kind of second order desire way of looking at this too, where I, some, sometimes I or other people will coerce me for my own good. Like, like sometimes if you have, you, you know, if you have someone who goes to the gym with you all the time say and if you don't go they're going to give you shit and it's like you're a flaker you know and that's a really good form of coercion but it is coercion they're they're trying to in those positive examples you're you're instilling a positive freedom right that that you know the peace of having worked out like we all know that feeling yeah, it's like you're beating back down the lower nature that he talks about on the previous page <laughs> yeah. right like yeah, the pursuit yeah. of immediate pleasures yeah um irrational impulse uncontrolled desires yeah but he can and this is where i thought it was very interesting and i thought about it more on a interpersonal level he continues it is another to say that if it is my good, then I am not being coerced for I have willed it, whether I know this or not. Mm. And I am free or truly free, even while my poor earthly body and foolish mind bitterly reject it. So here's what I read that to be saying. So, so he's saying that if you, if you operate on that second, what he calls monstrous impersonation view, that would be saying that forcing me to go to the gym isn't actually forcing me to go because my pure will or my ideal rational self would rationally want that. But, right. but if that's true, then there's this kind of, um, there's this kind of like Isaiah Berlin, which we'll, we'll read this paper at some point, but there's this like annihilation of the individual, because if that's true, everyone should be coerced into doing what is ultimately the peak of rationality the like the the apotheosis of what's rational right but that would that would almost deny the very individuality that we have in the first place that defines kind of people's goods so he he's saying like look you can't you can't coerce people in the name of positive freedom and pretend that it's not coercion if if you're going to do it you've got to bite that bullet yeah which, no, I, which mean, I think it was, is a good point. Yeah, totally. And it, it's, it seems totally true that people do that all the time, especially in like okay. even the modern political arena is just like, you know, just kind of wave off like the actual trade off that's happening and just kind of describe Ooh. it's like, like we are like these people are not. And it, it's super tempting. Like, I know I've done it. It's like you're not acting in your rational self-interest. And because like it is very clear empirically that mm. this would have a positive effect, like it you can object, but it can be it, it will be done, you yeah, know, over your objection. And then like it, that is like the justification, but that's not the proper framework. And it's kind of well, I don't he doesn't use the term, but again, it, it is a little bit paternalistic mm. um in the way we you know previously discussed. Do, do you know what I thought about? A perfect example of this is mm. Do you know how we all have to, we had to get those um, certain vaccinations to be able to attend like elementary school, you know, there's like meningitis and I don't yeah. know what they all are. That, that's a perfect example of you, you actually have to have negative freedoms restricted there for, in this case, it's just positive freedoms 
of being able to like th- this is what facilitates us to attend school, which facilitates every other opportunity in your life. And you yeah, don't I, have the ability to say like my body, my choice about the meningitis. Yeah, it's like you're. Pre- it's yeah. not even that you're preventing like yourself. Like it's, mm. you're preventing other children from dying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why I chose that because it's, it's just like, a pristine example. Right. You know, hundred percent. But again, like you, you cannot in good faith kind of say that you're simply increasing freedom. It's like, it is a small, it is a small amount of, you know, negative freedom, I'd say um, yeah. for a grand positive freedom. And I mean, it's, it's very hard to kind of argue against that, um, yeah, but like it, your, it, your, it has to be the trade-off framework. Otherwise it's, mm. it's not accurate. Exactly, because you're like you're free to navigate your academic career. Yes, the rest of your life. Exactly, like like, no, but just like without worrying about you know such things as like meningitis, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, but yeah, but you've but you've coerced people so they no longer have the freedom to not take the vaccines in that case. Mm. Yeah, we we don't want polio ridden like elementary schools. (laughs) Maybe you don't. (laughs) <laughs> oh, very and paternalistic I, of me yeah, yeah. Anderson and also, like, i understand what he's saying here but i'm not sure how i feel about it so mm. oh, let me read this part again that you just yeah read, jordan okay. it is another to say that if it is my good then i am not being coerced or i have willed it whether i know this or not and am free or truly free even while my poor earthly body and foolish mind bitterly reject it and struggle with the greatest desperation against those who seek, however benevolently, mm. to impose it. So, like, I understand that he's saying, okay, um, you, let's see here. So, then I am not being coerced, for I have willed it. So, I understand that he's saying, like, okay, your true rational self would will this behavior or this yes. coercion. So, you're not coerced in that sense. But I don't, I'm not sure I like the framing there. I don't know, because it because it's like I understand that he's appealing to this this master self almost mm-hmm. of you, where it's like you recognize that. Can I, I? I made a mistake there. I just realized when you when you were repeating it, I, I think I misspoke. To, I I should have said Bernard Williams esque point. I think I just repeated the name Isaiah Berlin point. You did. You did? You did? Okay. I was okay. I, no, no, no. I totally misspoke there. Uh, so I I think that he's actually making a really similar point to this really great paper. We haven't read it yet. I've referenced it all the time. We do this Bernard Williams point, where he says that it's it's actually very much of a piece with this point. He, he says that, so, you know, you look at these kind of ethical theories, right? Consequentialism, Kantian, deontological, right? So he, he makes the point that those theories have a deep, deep internal contradiction in them. And I think Isaiah Berlin is pointing to that contradiction here where he says, okay, look, you know, consequentialism, there's only going to be, or deontology, whatever you want. There's only going to be one right answer. There's only one maximization of utility, right? So if that is the thing that the theory demands, that is that thing which you must do. However, the entire idea of choosing to adopt a framework or not, or or to make a choice or not, is contingent on the idea of an individual, which by necessitating only one correct moral move, it destroys the idea of moral agency in the first place. Mm. And, and I took to make sense, yeah. And I took Berlin to be making a very similar point where here, where he's saying, if you say that something can't be bad for you, if it's what your rational self would, you know, endorse, right? So it's like I can subjugate you in any which way I want, as long as your rational best self would endorse it. There's a very similar point being made here where, okay. There's if you actually adopt that view, there's only going to be one ultimately just most rational life to live, right? And that would destroy the very concept of individuality that you're asking to sort of subjugate people to. I, I took it as a very similar point in that way. Yeah, I, I think he wraps it up in like the final paragraph here. I think he calls that the magical transformation. <laughs> I had that highlighted. Yeah, I, I really like that quote. If and read read that paragraph. There. Okay. Do <clears throat> um, we start from the beginning of the paragraph? I think this magical the end of the yeah, 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 yes. okay, it, yeah. So good. This magical transformation or sleight of hand for which William James so justly mocked the Hegelians can no <laughs> doubt be perpetrated just as easily with the negative concept of freedom. 
where the self that should not be interfered with is no longer the individual with his actual wishes and needs as they are normally conceived, but the real man within mm-hmm. identified with the pursuit of some ideal purpose not dreamed of by his empirical self. That's exactly what I was I was yeah. pulling from there is I think that that's the point where he's he's saying if you he's almost making like a slippery slope argument which is not a fallacy in this case where he's saying if you grant that you can't wrong someone if it's in their best rational self-interest well then that just opens the floodgates because why would any instance be outside the scope of that principle then like everyone would sort of degenerate into the ultimate rational being and then you could just coerce people into anything but that would just destroy the very yeah. concept of who we are in the first place. So it's like it almost bites its tail. In that yeah, the way. sleight of hand there is that like you've kind of changed the assumptions entirely to the point yeah. where it's like not internally consistent anymore. Yes. Right? Yeah. Whenever you invoke the you, like <laughs> that, that's, that's been destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Who, who's the me <laughs> in, in the like the all possible things considered best rational self that that's just that's just the, the rational self at that point. Yeah. Do you want me to continue reading? Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, I just that was where that part. Yeah, you know, that part's important specifically. Um, yeah, I know the part at the end is kind of what was highlighted by me, but mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'll just continue to get there. And as in the case of the positively free self, this entity may be inflated into some super personal ent- entity, um, a state, a class, a nation, or the march of history itself, mm-hmm. regarded as a more real subjective attributes than the imp- um, empirical self, mm-hmm. but. The positive conception of freedom as self-mastery, with its suggestion of a man divided against himself, has in fact, as a matter of history, of doctrine and of practice, lent itself more easily to this splitting of personality into two, the transcendent dominant controller and the empirical bundle of desires and passions to be disciplined and brought to heel. <laughs> it is this historical fact that has been influential. And then this is the part of the kind kind of I highlighted. This demonstrates, if demonstration of so obvious a truth is needed, that conceptions of freedom directly derive from views of what constitutes a self, a person, a man. Enough manipulation of the definition of man and freedom can be made to mean whatever the manipulator wishes. Recent history has made it only too clear that the issue is not merely academic. And that's kind of like where we were talking about before is like <laughs> in the sleight of hand is there is you've, mm. you've reconstituted a man or a self. So <laughs> at like, that's not like the point of what the debate should be. Um, like you, you, you can get to whatever end you want. If you kind of just like sl- uh, sneakily change, like all of the underlying you know, framework, right. If you yeah. redefine like a, a self, a being like <laughs> you can justify anything. That's mm. what he's saying here. And when was this written, Jordan? Do you know? This, this was uh, original. This was based off of a lecture given in, uh, fifty. I was gonna say fifty-seven. Okay. Seven. I was gonna say like sixties, uh, but nineteen fifty-seven. Okay. Yeah. So the lecture of fifty-seven. I think he was yes. appointed in Oxford in fifty-eight, right? Or yep. no? Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, the essay. I'll just read it. The essay is based on an inaugural lecture delivered in nineteen fifty-eight. Berlin succeeded G. D. H. Cole in this chair in fifty-seven. So it's just the reverse. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to ask you guys about that last point though that Giffen said because <laughs> it mm-hmm. I, I will bring it back to the Thomas Nagel paradox again. I, I feel like all three of us have been guilty of this style of better self-reasoning, but I also don't know that it's always wrong. Like you know, can you give an example? Sure. So we're all you know, we all are on the left about most issues, right? And so, you know, one of those issues would be, I mean, let's just, let's just go back to the easy case, I guess, is, is requiring vaccination for, you know, attending a school. Sure. It's like to, to do that. I don't know. Okay. So here's what I'm wondering about. It's like, okay, there's a very obvious way in which that is obviously justified in terms of sacrificing a minuscule amount of negative freedom for an incredibly large amount of positive freedom. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I don't think that I, I, there's any con- contest between our thinking and Berlin's. But when you ask, how do you justify that trade-off? 
doesn't the justification of that reduce to that person's kind of enlightened self? It's like, you might think as some, you know, anti-vax mother in the suburbs or whatever to use a trope, right? That, sure. you know, oh, like, no, my, my baby can't, you know, the meningitis vaccine, the polio, the smallpox vaccine, whatever it is, right? Like, but, but actually you're wrong about that. And when we say you're wrong about that, we actually mean that you would be better off if you didn't believe that. And, and, and regardless of what you believe, we're going to make your kid get the smallpox vaccine because that's how our society has to operate. Sure. No, I, I totally agree with that. I think I, I fully get Berlin at this point, though, where he's saying like, okay, whenever you've got a circumstance like that, like, we're not saying like one is better than the other. Like in this case, we're saying it is better to, you know, co- coerce individuals to maximize positive freedom in this sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's always important to recognize that there is that trade-off and that mm-hmm. we always can't just, you know, we, we can't maximize positive freedom or, or that can't be the rationale in every single circumstance to ration, you know, to maximize yes. positive freedom at the expense of negative freedom. Of course, because um, that degenerates into the condition he said. Sure. Mm-hmm. Here's my question though. When you say that that is a valid trade-off, obviously I agree with you, but isn't the underlying justification of saying it's a better trade-off predicated on that very notion of the enlightened best self? I don't know that it is. I, I'm almost failing to wonder how it could be justified because, okay, you know, there, there's, Let's let's table it. There's an obvious way in which you can justify it by protecting other people, like right? consequences, right? Sure, Just yeah. But but there, but I I do think that there is something there's something also sneaking in there where where uh, and even if it's not okay, you know, I don't know that that was that this was part of the reasoning behind that mandate or whatever. But here's the thing, I kind of think. I kind of think that it's right that those people would actually be better off if they didn't believe that the meningitis vaccine would kill their child or you know, whatever they believe. They they actually would be better off. And undoubtedly, I would be better off if fill in the blank, right? I don't if know I, that he contests. Like you, you said, like, but here's the thing. I do think that they would be better off. I don't. Yeah. Does Berlin contest that? That that's the thing that I'm not exactly clear about. So, okay, I mean, he's so we've got the two senses of, you know, best self, right? There's that really pragmatic one, which is right. So, uh, it is one thing to say that I know what is good for X, while he himself does not, and even to ignore his wishes for it, for it and his sake. So when he says for his sake too. Because because he's juxtaposing that. So here's what I'm not basing it off of. You know, if he were rational, he would have chosen that. That that is like that very lofty one that he points out can just be justified for anything, right? But when he says that we do something for someone else's sake, even if they don't see that it's for that, I'm almost reading that as that very. I mean, like the paternalistic way of you don't understand what's good for you with respect to this but but through this you're going to be made better off right it isn't isn't that just another way of saying if we could have prevented you from ha- you know it's like i think not far away from granting that is granting the statement you would have been better off to have never believed that in the first place right Sorry, I'm like rereading this. Paragraph sure, I, I don't know. I, I, I know. I, I agree with you. I'm just I'm just thinking right now. Um, I know it, it's there's some really slippery way in which it creeps be, in be, because like it's that's not the reason like that we make any of like these you know kind of social prescriptions, right? Like sure, like, the reason we do for, you know all of them is like consequentialism, like in a sense, but at the same time you can look at it through a different lens. It's not the reason why of we course. do it, but from this different lens, you could say, okay, yes. Well, even you know, then, there, 
they're, they're, they're able to now send their children to school, not fearing that their kid gets meningitis. Mm. And there is a freedom, a positive freedom associated with that. And that entails that, yes, their rational self would have made that decision. Yes. Right. So, so I, I agree with that. Like if you look at it through that lens, mm-hmm. um, Yeah. Yes, I'm not honestly. I'm not 100 sure how to think about like the rational self in this. Um, honestly, in the whole paper, like yeah. Berlin's point in invoking it, um, but I'm one. I don't know if it's necessarily a different lens when you frame it like that. I think the idea of the positive and the negative freedoms kind of wraps into the consequentialism, right? You can say like if you value. I mean, and this might be the thing that is smuggled in Jordan from your perspective. Like different people will value like positive and negative freedoms differently. But th- those kind of things are in that consequentialism. You know, th- that decision is like those values, like is part of the you know calculus or whatever. That makes sense. It's like it's, it's, I, I, it's, I, I, and I you can't conceive of it out. Like you can't conceive of it without having both of those sides being addressed. But but here's what I want to kind of bring up though, Giffen. I, I kind of I could be wrong about this, but I kind of got from his section here that the positive freedom aspect is almost like a psychological state. I wasn't sure. Yeah, I, I, I kind of got it that it was more of like, like you are your own master at this point. You, it, it essentially you are navigating the world at kind of almost like a higher level. Like, you, but it can't be baseless, right? It's got to be actually grounded in in some real actuality of you doing those things. Well, I'm not sure because he does use. I mean, this is what I was bringing up with the self mastery. I don't know if he would critique. You know. Um, people not constructing the environment for this to happen, or if he would just critique the man for not being disciplined. Right. Like he says he invokes self mastery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I was like, I was saying, like, I think he does to some degree agree with like that modern notion that we would apply it, but it, yeah. he uses language. He kind of, he uses language that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't necessitate that from like, you know, but, but I thought that this is what Adam initially brought up, where it, it consists in positive freedom consists in both conceiving goals and realizing them. Yeah, I guess my point is, like, he seems to suggest that, like, I mean, you just quoted him, um, but he doesn't stress that. To be fair, it's like a very short section of the paper. So I'm not sure that he, I'm not sure that the fact that he doesn't stress it means it's not still. Oh yeah. I'm not saying through the heart. of. I I feel like it was stressed though, because like the first paragraph was him explaining what positive freedom is. And then the later paragraphs kind of, you know, he brings up how they can, how positive freedom can then conflict Mm. with negative freedom. You know what I mean? So I feel like that first paragraph really was him laying out, okay, here's what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? I, I think I think that I think that the psychological aspect of it is a necessary but not a sufficient condition in the sense that he says you must be able to both conceive that that would be the psychological state of being able to actually desire these things and then bring them about being the you can't be an insane person just I think I could be an astronaut but that not being in the realm of possibilities. So I think I think it is really the the twofold conditions there that that are the case for positive freedom. Like, no, I think so, that's a good conception because I take it that if everyone in North Korea thinks that they really could visit Japan if only they wanted to, you know, but they just don't. It, Berlin would be like, no, that that's not real positive freedom just because you think you could visit Japan if you wanted to, you know. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think there's, we just kind of got a little mixed up earlier because it's like, okay, mm. why would someone, the question was like, why would someone curtail negative mm. freedoms? Yeah. And I think it wouldn't be through the lens of, of maximizing positive freedom. That wouldn't be the yes. lens when we do it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, but I do agree with your perspective that to have positive freedom, it needs to be actualized. Yeah. So, or, or it could be actualized mm-hmm. reasonably. Um, just in, in thinking about talk, talking about the negative aspects of freedom, I, I don't think, I don't think we really have to move through it systematically because a lot of it has come out in what we're talking about already. I mean, were there any, were there any aspects of the discussion of negative freedom that you guys thought that we should talk about? 
That oh. seemed the more intuitive section. It did. It did. I did want to talk about this, though, because I found this very interesting. So this mm-hmm. is on page 170, uh, about halfway through that long paragraph at the, at the start. He says, the use uh, or this use of the term, the term being negative freedom, depends on a particular social and economic theory about the causes of my poverty or weakness. If my lack of material means is due to my lack of mental or physical capacity, then I begin to speak of being deprived of freedom and not simply about poverty, only if I accept the theory. I think the theory is the one he put forth. If, in addition, I believe that I'm being kept in want by way of specific arrangement, which I consider unjust or unfair. I speak of economic slavery or oppression. And this is what I was talking to you guys. I think it was off air about where if you're, if you're actually so poor that you're prevented from getting a job because you can't kind of plan that far in the future because you're living literally hand to mouth, Mm -hmm. then, then he, he's almost saying like you can be deprived of positive freedom to a point where it becomes negative freedom, actually. Like it, he, he I, and that's me, that's me reading into him here, but you can be deprived of positive freedom to the point where it infringes on negative freedom. Yeah. Or, or okay. it almost kind of transforms into a lack of negative. Freedom. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, I didn't hear the lack in the negative freedom part. Yeah. yeah. Say, you, can, you, you lose so much positive freedom. You just, <laughs> Rise just <laughs> maybe i misspoke no it's the no one no one infringes on anything that I can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry continue because that's that's what i was talking to you about giffen where where I, we were trying to look for that the the name of that term where mm-hmm. it, you know you're so poor that you can only afford to buy a very inexpensive car, which is then prone to break down more often than a new car would so your cost of ownership is more expensive than the wealthy person's car actually and that that continual loss of of income the poverty trap oh that's it that's that's didn't the term. i call it the poverty trap did you did you maybe just I, did. I, did, I didn't hear it i didn't okay okay but but if, but if you did then that would make sense why i would yes. use those words because I, I i came to mind there so i don't think that part was I, recorded I, so we'll I, never know bummer We'll never know. Maybe Giffen, Giffen instilled the positive freedom in you to be able to say that. <laughs> I say it, and, and it was kind of like, no, not quite. <laughs> Adam says, it's my really God, say- it's here. <laughs> it's been delivered. I, I honestly didn't, I didn't hear it, but I didn't you might have that, said it but... while we were talking. So therefore, I kind of heard you, and then that's what primed me to say it. This was like prior to the recording, not yeah, just we'll now. Never, but... We'll never know. <laughs> and and, and the interesting thing is that so he, he, he kind of talked about, remember I said there's almost those three conditions of, of coercion, which mm-hmm. is that w- one of them is that it's by other beings, uh, human beings. But what he just said in that paragraph, I, I think is, is a really interesting and congruent way of saying, look, you know, you could have this very, this very simplistic view of of coercion or negative freedom where it's like oh someone is stopping me from entering this store or whatever but he's i think he's in this paragraph kind of pointing to no look you know negative freedom can be restricted from other human beings but through these very abstract and indirect causes you know like like the poverty trap for instance or or you know like that psychological fact that we also talked about off air where you know if you're studies have shown that if you're if you're stressed monetarily and you're extremely poor you actually lack mental faculties that you otherwise would have presumably to to future reason about things so that's sort of i i took that as being a really interesting point of you know look that this 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 lack of negative freedom can present itself in non-obvious ways I don't know if there was any, is there any other, uh, or were there any other interesting kind of notes about the negative freedom that either of you want to talk about? No, I, I, I think it was pretty clear. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm like looking for notes. I'd like, to, I'd like to add, I'd like to add one quote. So Giffen, I think you specifically mentioned this, but he's really, 
when we're, when we were talking about the um, the trade off between positive and negative freedoms, it yeah. really is just a very practical issue. He, he it's not there's there, he, he's almost now. I don't know if he actually does this in his other work, but in here, it seems like he's kind of eschewing a concept of like an unalienable right. Right. He's saying like, yeah, the, these are pragmatic concerns we've got to figure out. And he says, I just I, love, I like the language where it is, it being the balance, where the balance is to be drawn as a matter of argument, indeed, of haggling. <laughs> no, he, he yeah, he basically yeah. says what an inalienable right is, is just, you know, whatever the bounds you make. <laughs> and it'll be yeah. different for different yeah. people. Yeah, he he um he seemed to be almost implicitly endorsing a kind of Hobbesian view of of society as an escape from the state of nature you know it's like we're all kind of coming together and agreeing to restrict certain negative freedoms in order to reap the benefit of positive freedoms and that frees us from that very animalistic state i i don't know enough about him to know if he was had like hobbesian inclinations but no, that does I, seem yeah. to i don't i don't know there, there is almost a sense of that you're right yeah um I'm just looking through my notes real quick. Oh, oh, okay. He, I liked this too. Okay. So on page 172, top of the next paragraph. Yeah. He, he says, what troubles the consciences of Western liberals is, I think the belief, not that the freedom that men seek differs according to their social or economic conditions, but that the minority who possess it have gained it by exploiting, or at least averting their gaze from the vast majority who do not. <laughs> and I, I just it's this was that was an amazing a priori prediction of exactly what Jonathan Haidt has found in his uh gif and I don't think you're aware of this but jo Jonathan Haidt and Craig Joseph uh building off of the the work of a cultural anthropologist Rick Schwader mm -hmm. found that uh there are these kind of five incommensurate values that people tend to hold sure. I don't I don't know if I can remember them there's there's harm uh, there's fairness, there's oppression, there's purity, and there's sanctity. I think those are the five. And um, and and there's been since added another foundation. Oh no, the, the, I think the sixth foundation was liberty or oppression. So I'm I'm missing one. Uh, harm, harm, uh, fairness. Oh, authority, authority. Uh, and it's it's actually crazy because. What the empirical data that Haidt found was is that liberals or people who identify as progressive on the left, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. are off the charts in caring about harm or fairness, but they do not care about authority, sanctity, or purity standards, which is very interesting. That actually is interesting. I just thought it was so cool that in 57, Berlin predicted perfectly just, just from the armchair what Jonathan Haidt would find in, I think, the early 2000s, you know? And and actually, uh, okay, maybe this is what we can end on. I, okay, I I actually think that I, I think that the left, just talking in the political climate we're in today, I think the left's rhetoric actually really suffers for a lack of these distinctions. Yeah, yeah. He said um, he says it in the middle of this paragraph. Um, but nothing is gained by a confusion of terms, right? Mm. He says, to, to avoid um, glaring inequality or widespread misery, I am ready to sacrifice some or all of my freedom. I may do so willingly and freely, but it, it is freedom that I am giving up for the sake of justice or mm. equality or the love of my fellow men, right? I should be guilt-stricken, and rightly so, if I were not in some circumstances ready to make the sacrifice. But a sacrifice is not an increase in what is being sacrificed, namely freedom. Yes, like, like yes. It, nothing is gained. He is a good critique and it's still apt. Yes, it's really apt right now because here's the thing is like, I mean, you, you know, you look at, you look at, you know, let's just use a really current example, Biden's rhetoric around the COVID vaccines, right? I don't have any evidence to support this, but just thinking about it, you know, look, you're someone who has a conservative bent. Right. You, you feel as though there's something that you're giving up, but you, you know, obviously you've never read Berlin. You don't know all of this. Right. But but there is this sort of negative feeling that you have. And then all it's talked about is this conflation 
that that you know people on the left tend to put forth, which is only about positive freedoms, right? We need freedom too, and they're absolutely right. But I, I don't know. I I almost think that a very candid discussion of like, look, you know, that there are positive and negative freedoms. It's just it's just exactly <laughs> what the quote just said. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you bring those people into your moral community by like <laughs> by acknowledging that negative freedoms exist. Yeah, right. and, it's like you can't if you treat it as a, if you treat it as just like a, a line, and it's like we are moving forward in the line. Like mm-hmm. it's just kind of patronizing to people who are like, you know, even if they can't articulate it, like, sure. well, no, they're like it's a loss of something. Yeah, you know? yeah. Put it, putting aside the idea that the, you know, um, <laughs> uh, personal responsibility might dictate the result of the mandate. Anyways. Sure, sure. Yeah. And and I think like to be fair though. Um, a, a lot of people on the left do speak like this. They might not introduce things like positive freedoms, but I've heard many people, including myself, even before being <laughs> Berlin, like I had chest out, <laughs> like, yeah, including no, but, <laughs> no, but, but the thing is like, I I've, I've made very similar arguments where it's like, okay, you acknowledge, like I've had many conversations where I've acknowledged that, okay, you are giving up this type of freedom. I, I didn't have this distinction between positive mm. and negative freedom, but you acknowledge that, okay, you are giving this up for some different thing that we value ultimately, whether mm. it's okay, the general social welfare or, you know, the consequences of this or, or just yeah. whatever, right. Quality, fairness, justice, culture, whatever, all the things it, he lists. Mm. Sure. But I, I've actually seen like, this is just, you know, my, my personal, you know, anecdotes here, but it would be, like, I, I just haven't gotten like a lot of good reception from that. It's just really? generally, hmm. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I guess it could be one of those things where it's, it's actually overdetermined where you're just never gonna change people's minds. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it, this sounds more elitist than it needs to be, but it's like, may, maybe it really is only for the people who are thinking about it for lack of a better term. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I mean, like, you know, look, the whatever percent of the Republicans who haven't gotten the vaccine at this point, there's probably not. But Berlin himself could just reemerge and he's not going to convince them to take it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, all things being equal, I do think that this language is lacking in a lot of the conversation from the left today. Yeah, especially this, like the distinction between positive and negative. Uh, yeah, like, oh, like, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. This language alone kind of allows you to explain that issue. Um, like, yeah. you simply say, like, this is a group of people who have, like, more and more, this, like, decided on like the value of um, negative freedom mm. is is widened, like, is is so much greater in value than like the positive freedom, right? That's that's a way to kind of describe it. And that's like there's a kind of separation in the communities, right? And that causes a lot of tension because it's like for some people, it's like, you know, I'm giving up a little bit of this to get an immense amount of that for an mm. immense amount of people. And the other person's like, the value of, you know, any negative freedom is infinite. So it's like it, <laughs> there is no calculus. It's like, let's mm. <laughs> And that comes back to my point about, well, I, I actually think that your rational best self would endorse this right. if, if you experienced both things. Yeah. And it's like, we, we, I just keep thinking like, we already do this, you know what I mean? Like mm. the language, like the, like this distinction is really good. Like love the paper, but like we, we've already like explained to people for like a year and a half that like, okay, like why do you wear a mask in a store? Like why is it required? It's so that, you know, the elderly woman shopping, can feel comfortable and free to shop at the store, right? Like mm. she, there's like a comfort level that we're so trying that she to, can have those positive freedoms. So, exactly. Yeah. So that she can like, you know, in this case, it's a, it's a pretty modest goal, but the goal <laughs> of going to the store and, and shopping without the fear of dying. Not right? being oppressed. So, <laughs> exactly. Modest indeed. Anderson would say like, you're just oppressing people. Yeah. Sure. So, but, but it's like, we, we already kind of laid that out before and people are like, don't care. So, I mean, I agree that I mean? some like, people do, but I do think, like in general, especially like, I mean, our our media consumption is vastly different than the average Americans. Like, you got to imagine, like, does this language make it into the sound bites? No. Does that mean that it, you know, for fifty percent of Americans, it doesn't make it in there at all? Yeah. Like, it does, does, does. does Biden come at his next presser ruffling papers of two concepts <laughs> of liberty? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
no, as, no, he, he just as panders. Stormtroopers are sent down. <laughs> <laughs> it's for your positive freedom, don't you understand? I, I, I've got... <laughs> what negative freedom? <laughs> Giffa just immediately put it to use by, by, by the notion of positive liberty. <laughs> You got like an AR-15 to your like temple. Just like brush your teeth. Your rational self would endorse it. (laughs) I couldn't agree more, my man. (laughs) Adam Adam trembling as he's brushing. But it's a Frankfurt case, sir. I would have done it anyway. (laughs) 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 Oh, all right. (laughs) Well, I... This... You know, we haven't had one of these episodes in a while where we read a short text and it is just sort of a package of, I, I actually think this is one of those examples where the semantics you use to think or talk about something do actually change how you think about it. And mm-hmm. I, I like, I like these episodes. I'm glad that we had this, this style of one again. Yeah. Now that it's totally been like crystallized, yeah. this is like, these are concepts that will be applied, you know, very liberally. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, I don't know what we're doing next, but I hope that everyone listening enjoyed this episode and will tune in for the next one. So until then. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Plato's Cave. Um, I always enjoy discussing topics with uh, with these two guys. So if you want to um, support the show in any way, you can do so simply by sharing it. Uh, I'm hoping to get this show out to more people. Uh, and so if you want to share it on Twitter or social media, that would really help me. Uh, you can also rate it on Apple Podcasts. Uh, like this video if you're watching on YouTube or subscribe uh, via Apple Podcasts or an RSS feed. Uh, you can also discuss it on your own show and link back uh, to my website. Or you can connect me uh, with recommended guests or topics to cover. Uh, you can get in contact with me at Plato's Cave Podcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Jordan underscore C underscore Myers. And I now have a website for my philosophy endeavors at jordanmyers.org. If you want to know a little bit more about me and my fellow co-hosts, as I said in the introduction, I'm a master's student in philosophy at the University of Houston. I did my undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh, where I studied mechanical engineering and philosophy. And now that I'm back at school, I'm hoping to more closely study uh, moral responsibility, free will, ethics, epistemology, and moral psychology. Those are topics that I was uh, introduced to and got really interested in in my undergrad work. So uh, Adam and Giffen accompanied me on this show, and Adam is uh, one of my oldest friends. We actually met in kindergarten, um, and we've been interested in philosophical topics for as long as we can remember, and in a lot of ways, it's been the basis of our friendship. Uh, Adam studied chemistry and biology at Cornell, and he is currently working at a law firm. Um, And he's especially interested in moral responsibility as well, but also law, religion, and free will. Uh, Giffen is also one of my oldest friends, and uh, we've been friends since elementary school as well. Um, Giffen studied biology and economics at RPI, and now he works in human health research. Uh, He believes that there's very interesting overlap between both of his fields of study and philosophy, and he's particularly interested in exploring political philosophy. So this series was right up his alley. Um, And with, uh, with all of that information... Again, I hope that you enjoyed uh, this episode, and I hope that you get in contact with me or or follow my work in any way that you uh, deem reasonable to do. So with that, thank you for listening.